7 of Board Game Blitz, a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to fully calm down after a massive hype train occurs on Twitch. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're recording live on Twitch and talking about gateway games. First, we discuss a couple games we played recently, Pocketbook Adventures, The Mysterious Case of Dancing Mania, Connected Clues, and Gutenberg. Then, we discuss our favorite games to introduce others to the board gaming hobby. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word clue. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie and Crystal. One quick announcement before we hop into the episode, and that is that, for the first time ever, we are currently recording this episode live on Twitch. So for those of you who don't know, we have a Twitch channel where we stream at least twice a week, twitch.tv slash boardgameblitz. And tonight we are live streaming our recording session. The reason I'm mentioning that is because there is the chance that we may reference comments from people in the live chat, or things may be a little bit longer or, you know, more unusual than usual. So just (laughs) be aware that that is why that is happening. Recently, I got a review preview copy of Pocketbook Adventures, which is coming to, oh, it should be on Kickstarter when this episode releases, actually, because I think October 4th is when it comes to Kickstarter. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, But Pocketbook Adventures is a solo pencil and paper role-playing game. It's a campaign in a book, and as the name implies, it fits in a pocket. (laughs) It's a little book that fits in your pocket. I tried it in my jeans pocket, in like my jeans pocket like it doesn't fit that much right i mean women's jeans yeah. pockets i could literally talk for an hour about how how angry yeah. i get sometimes yeah but uh i think the actual book is going to be slightly bigger and have bigger margins so hopefully it'll still fit i'm not actually putting it in my jeans pocket <laughs> but but it does fit so it fits in like my purse and stuff but anyways the way the game works is there's a campaign through the book so each page is an area a different area with uh, monsters to defeat items and gold to get you move around the grid and go over items to collect them and land your monsters to fight them and there's different regions that have different movement rules you're getting points for mo- more monsters defeated not losing too much health and from not using too many movements so instead of dice <laughs> I like this part. You close your eyes and you aim your pencil at a target. So there's a target on the page and like you close your eyes, take off your pencil without touching the page and then put the pencil on and try to hit the bullseye of the target. And then like the targets have different shaded areas and stuff. And so if you hit a shaded area, then the enemy's ability will go off. And so different things happen. So I like that because I have more control over the result and I can like improve my aim theoretically. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's, yeah. it's, it's like... It's not random, but it's Mm -hmm. also not completely skill. I mean, like it doesn't, it's not like the loss of sight changes it, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And feeling like, cause you're, you're not allowed to have your hand on the paper as you're doing it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And then also as, as you go further in the game, the bullseyes get smaller (laughs) for the different monsters. The monsters get harder. (laughs) It gets more difficult. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. I actually played some in the car and it's harder when like you're moving. I was a passenger <laughs> in the car. <laughs> like, I'm glad so you were the passenger at least. If you were trying to do no, this no, with your eyes closed while you were driving, we'd have a whole other issues to discuss. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, like the, the gameplay, I like that there's a puzzle in the movements because you're getting points for not doing too many movement points. If you land on the same spot multiple times, it only counts as one. So it's like the number of spots you end your turn on, that's how you count it. And so you're like trying to use fewer turns by figuring out which path you have to go, but you want to like get 
get everything too. So there's a little puzzle in trying to like get over everything limited to the movement constraints of that region and then also kill all the monsters and get all the items and stuff. There's also throughout the book, you can go to shops. After a few areas, there'll be a shop and you buy items and weapons, increase your max HP and you get better, but monsters get harder, as I said. So I, I liked it. It was fun, a puzzly solo game. And I, I've been playing it like everywhere in the car. I, I play it when I'm waiting to pick up my kids at preschool. Each game doesn't take that long, but I've even like, I break it up into multiple sittings sometimes because I have like a couple minutes <laughs> and then I just do part of it and then I finish it later. So that's Pocketbook Adventures designed by David David and published by Grumpy Spider Games. Solo pencil and paper RPG that should be on Kickstarter now. Awesome. Well, it sounds pretty neat. And I yeah. know we have some people that listen to the show that like solo gaming. So mm -hmm. yeah. And then also I wanted to mention Mysterious Case of Dancing Mania again. This is a escape room type book that i mentioned last week on the podcast but i hadn't finished it so i finished it <laughs> so i talked you can listen to last podcast about like how the puzzles were there it's a puzzle book that has a theme but it's all in one book like all the puzzles are contained in in one like pamphlet book kind of like a magazine but it looks pretty thematic. The second half, I didn't like as much as the first half because it was more story-based and fewer puzzles. And if you know me, I like the puzzle part of escape rooms more usually. But like the story was cool too, but not as immersive as some other detective type games because it's only the magazine book thing and, and not other materials. But it like it was decently immersive because the graphic design was pretty neat. The theme is that you got, you found like a time capsule with all these pages and you're trying to solve the case. So the pages were from different people's notes. And so like they all have different fonts and different designs in, in each of the pages and sketches and stuff. So that was pretty cool. Oh, another thing, the this is a book escape room. So I would play it mo solo. I You can probably play it with more people, but like it's just a book. So like you're flipping through the pages and that's kind of harder to play with multiple people. So I think it works well solo. And if you're interested in The Mysterious Case of Dancing Media and the other books, it's a subscription service. On their site, they have some little puzzles on wackywheels.nl. They have some little puzzles that can give you an idea of what the puzzles in their escape room would be like. So like little word puzzles or little number puzzles and stuff. Like that's kind of like the same type of puzzles that are in this. But then there's a story added and more of the puzzles. So I'll link to that site in the show notes. The Mysterious Case of the Dancing Mania should be available as a standalone when this episode comes out, but there's also other ones that are coming as part of a subscription service. Awesome. Well, I'm also going to talk about two games today, but the first one you and I have both played recently. Yep. We were sent review copies of a new party game that came out in July called Connected Clues. Connected Clues is a... It's kind of in the same realm as other party games that kind of just give you like an open template to do things with. Like, you know how people play just mm -hmm. one and they don't necessarily follow the point-based rules. They just kind of play with the components and the cards till they're tired of it. This is another one of ga those games that you can do like that. The whole thing with Connected Clues is there are two phrases on a card that have been combined by the word that they share. So one of the phrases will end in the same word as the second phrase begins with. And you are giving clues to the, the other people at the table to try and get them to guess what the full combined phrase is. So for instance, if I described to Ambie, a edible residence 
that you construct around the holidays and a thing that teenagers throw when their parents are out gingerbread of town. Gingerbread house party? Yay! Yay! There you go. I got it. Uh, so yes, gingerbread <laughs> house party. And what's neat about this, I actually recently streamed it and I took it upon myself to kind of add some little hindrances. Like I made it so I couldn't use a certain letter while I was describing clues or I couldn't say and or the, or I had to speak in pig Latin. So... <laughs> Kind of like, um, there are lots of games that do similar things. Uh, Trivia Trolls comes to mind. Um, other games with like hindrances, trap words, you know, like there's certain things you're trying mm -hmm. to avoid in some games. And so I kind of threw in stuff like that um, during the stream and it made it really fun. I had a lot of fun playing it with the chat here on Twitch. And I think that was pretty cool. It's, it's one of those really approachable party games that mm -hmm. you could gift to just about anyone, regardless of whether they're a gamer or not, and they could get some enjoyment out of it. I will say it is only available in the United States right now, and a lot of the clue cards are US-centric. So they are sometimes celebrities or politicians or other notable people or places or things that potentially only Americans would be aware of. So if you're mm. outside of the U.S., if you are able to get your hands on a copy, just be aware of that. But if you're in the U.S. and you, you're looking for like an easy gift for a non-gamer for the holidays, like this is something that you could definitely look into. Yeah, and I, I got to play this too with my game group. And <laughs> I have a quote from Toby. It's the perfect game for people who don't want to play games. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a great quote. <laughs> and, and he also had another quote that I have to paraphrase because i can't say it on a family-friendly podcast but he said it's like it's the same demographic as cards against humanity but a good game okay <laughs> that no that makes sense yeah like yeah. this would work with the same type of group that cards yeah. against humanity would work with but this is not a dirty game by mm -hmm. any means and and like the gameplay is actually more fun i think yeah <laughs> so yeah, but yeah um i also agree like some of the words were kind of tough if you don't know the person or the brand or phrase or whatever. Some of the phrases, I mean, even all my group, I think, was Americans and we don't know. We didn't know all of them. Um, yeah, there are some obscure yeah, so, ones for yeah. sure. But <laughs> even in the rules of the game, it specifies that if you draw a card and you don't know the reference, you can just basically mm -hmm. put that card yeah. down and draw a new one. Like it's very friendly and approachable mm -hmm. in that way. It's not super strict about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Thank you to Connected Clues for sending mm -hmm. us review copies of the game. It was a lot of fun. The next game I'm going to talk about is one that I actually got to play a few weeks ago when I was in Chicago with some of my board game friends, and that is Gutenberg. Gutenberg released in 2021, published by Grana Overseas and Portal Games here in the States. I apologize, but I'm not even going to try and pronounce the two designers' names. This is a Polish game, and their names are very Polish. And I literally have no idea how to pronounce them. Look it up on BoardGameGeek if you want to know the designers. I'm so sorry. But Gutenberg is a game themed around not Steve Gutenberg. I know that's what you were thinking. It is about the designer of the printing press, that Gutenberg, who I actually learned, someone told me he didn't actually invent the printing press. Other people invented typeface and like inking and all these other like pieces and parts and he's just the first person that like put it all together into a single thing so like I don't know if, what that means but he gets credit for it I guess so <laughs> in the game Gutenberg you are playing as pioneers of printing in the 15th century and you are trying to complete orders using a printing press that you own 
And the way you do that throughout the course of the game is you actually have to acquire fonts, like actual letters to put into your machine, theoretically. And the pieces with the letters are actual little printing press typeface pieces. They're made of wood and they have the little letters sticking out of the wood like they would if you were going to ink them and stamp them. And they look really cool. This was one of the things that immediately drew me to the game was the components. So you're grabbing those letters, the fonts, and you also have to collect ink in different colors to fulfill certain orders. The actions you can take during the course of the game all relate to a bidding system. And it is ridiculously ingenious. And I would be shocked if this is the first game to do this and no one else has, because it seems so wildly smart and I've never seen it in another game. What happens each round is players have a board behind a shield that they can allocate their cubes to, to show which actions they want to take. And so if you allocate no cubes to one of the rows, then you don't get to take that action. But if you allocate any number of cubes to a row, you will definitely get to take that action. But the order in which people get to take that action is based on how many cubes they put in that particular row. And all of the players have a different number of cubes. The first player always has the fewest. The last player always has the most. And it's one more based on player order. So obviously if you are first, you have more of an advantage in certain things, but you have less cubes to work with and vice versa. If you're last in turn order, you have less things to work with potentially, but you can put more cubes out. And then at the end of every round, this is the ingenious part. Every player except the first player gives a single cube to the first player. And like, at first you're like, wait, what does that mean? It just means everybody else has one less and now the first player has the most. It is mm -hmm. brilliant. And I can't <laughs> imagine, like, well, how has no one else done this before? I was like blown away. So your player board has different stats that you're going up on that will help you score certain things or get new bonuses. And it also has this unique gear system. You can buy gears on the main board and put them on your player board. And then every round you will spend them and you'll get an action if a action on one of the gears is facing a certain direction and each of the gears turn the others. So potentially you can take up to like three extra actions or have three little benefits in a round. This is one of those games that you kind of have to see and it looks really complicated. I will honestly say I thought this was a heavier game than it actually is. That's not to say it is light. This is not gateway by any means, which will relate to the conversation we're having in just a few minutes, but I would say this is like medium weight Euro pretty solidly. Like once you learn it, it's pretty easy to understand and play. I've only played it the one time, but this is one of those games that I'm sure all of you have experienced this, where sometimes you play a new game and you just fall in love instantly. And like, you know, like this is a game for you. That is what the case is for me in Gutenberg. I desperately want to get my hands on my own copy. I cannot wait to play it more. And you can play it with anywhere from one to four players. I didn't look at the solo rules, but I'm very curious to know what the solo rules look like. It's so fun, y'all. If you, if you like the theme and you like medium weight Euro games, I just, I would highly recommend you check this one out at some point. It is quite fun. The components are amazing. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Cool. That sounds interesting. I, I, yeah. I want to play now. <laughs> I, I like, I hadn't heard of it 
Uh, and yeah. Portal Games brought it over, thank goodness, because if this wasn't available in the States and I learned about it, I would have to acquire it from overseas. <laughs> Our main topic of discussion today, we're going to talk about gateway games. And we've we've discussed this topic in some fashion in the past. And we've also said in the past that we are not super keen on the term gateway games because mm -hmm. they kind of imply that you should use them as a stepping stone to something else. Mm -hmm. And while some people do that, obviously it's not required. If <laughs> you play incredibly lightweight board games for the rest of your life, there's nothing wrong with that. So mm -hmm. when just note that when we say gateway games, we mean games to introduce people to the hobby or introductory games. Yeah. But we may use the term gateway just because it's a little shorter and easier. But we do not think that they have to be a gateway to something else. <laughs> yeah. And for me, like, I don't use gateway games or like, I don't think of using like specific gateway games that much to introduce people. I usually, I mean, it depends on the person usually and like what they're looking for. So for this, I'm thinking of gateway games is kind of games that show a non-hobby gamer what's possible in the world of board gaming and like gets them interested in playing more. But like, most of the gateway or the games that I recommend to non-hobby gamers are games that I still play and like. So it's not like Absolutely. you go beyond the gateway. You're just like, it's it's part of, <laughs> it's part of the whole thing. For sure. And I mean, obviously, if you're going to be utilizing a game to teach other people mm -hmm. frequently or even semi-regularly, yeah. you want it to be a game that you enjoy. Mm -hmm. So just because someone else says, this is an amazing gateway game. That does not mean it's the perfect one for you or the mm -hmm. people you're teaching. And I think yeah. having that flexibility is important because what is a gateway game to one person may not be to a different person. Mm -hmm. And some people can start off with very heavy games, I have mm -hmm. found, uh, but that's not <laughs> yep. always the case either. So you really need to like know your audience. Yeah, so usually if you're trying to introduce a friend to board games like you'll hopefully you'll know them <laughs> if they're your friend <laughs> i mean you know those friends that you don't really know <laughs> i have introduced yeah. games to co-workers and so i yeah, guess that yeah. they would kind of fall into that category like i know them but i don't know them yeah for me like when i was trying to think of like what's the, the best gateway game or something so i was trying to, i was thinking of co-workers like what i recommend to co-workers usually and that for me code names is the one that is usually at the top of those lists i i really like code names it's a team word game it's very simple you're try you're giving clues to try to connect as many words as possible that are your words in in this grid so there's a 5 by 5 grid and you have so many words and your other team has so many words and uh, you're trying to give clues to your teammates to guess those words and they try to guess them so it's a word guessing game it has teams but like there's lots of thinking <laughs> yeah there can very, be a lot of like yeah. intense staring at cards yeah. in that yeah. game yeah and with team games it gets like some people don't like cooperative games and some people don't like competitive games but like with team games you kind of get like some of both so you get the cooperative stuff so people aren't alone so people who don't like competitive games have a team to rely on and then people who don't like cooperative games because they want to compete they're still competing against the other team so I think that kind of covers all the bases there. Yeah. Well, and to that point, I think full cooperative games 
tend to be something that people outside of the hobby often don't even know exist. Yeah. I know before I got into the hobby, I don't think I had ever been aware of cooperative board games where you're playing against mm -hmm. the game. And so I really like to introduce people to cooperative games, especially to yeah, your point, too. if they don't like competition, you know, they, they're mm -hmm. very passive people. They don't like to fight you know, mm -hmm. in the context of a game. Cooperative games are really good for that. And I know yeah. one of your favorite games, Ambi, in general, and one that I like to introduce to people that's cooperative is The Mind, because mechanically, mm -hmm. it's very simple. <laughs> but it kind of like tends to, for lack of a better term, blow people's <laughs> minds when yeah. they first play it, because they are just like, it, it doesn't feel like any other game that you tend to play, mm -hmm. you know, as an, as an average human. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've introduced the mind to so many people. Well, a lot of them are are gamers, so <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> a lot of non gamers too. <laughs> but on the note of cooperative games, if you're introducing it to them, a lot of cooperative games you you can also go on the heavier side. So like if people are want to do a longer game or more in depth, more lots of stuff going on, then you can do cooperative games like Arkham Horror or Yggdrasil. Yggdrasil is one that we've actually done with with non gamers, and because you can help with all the actions you you they're doing it cooperatively and then like the upkeep you can just do that like all the upkeep that happens between turns with the bad the bad people one person can do that so they don't have to think about that part yeah you so basically nice. don't have to explain yeah. every single mechanism if you can handle some yeah. of it right be like bad stuff happens between the turns i'll, I'll do that <laughs> yeah no that's a good point i think yeah if or any game where everything is public information mm -hmm. that even if it is a competitive game if i'm yeah. teaching a game to players that have never played a game before and everything is public then i'll basically you know i'll gauge where they're at and then i can assist them mid-game so that can a make the teach lighter and shorter because some people really don't like just sitting there and listening to someone explain the rules mm -hmm. to a game and I tend to be lengthy in my game explanations <laughs> most of the time. So if everything is public information, I will try and go a little faster if I know that would be preferable. Mm -hmm. And then just get to the game and then help them as we go, so to speak. Like, oh, here are your options right now. This is why you might want to do that. Or this is why you might want to do this other thing. And then mm -hmm. let them choose, but like guide them. And I think yeah. most people appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, and that's why 18xx games are good gateway games. <laughs> I mean, you and Toby successfully taught me, so. But, I'm not sure if that was a gateway game for you. No, it was not. It was definitely no. not a gateway game. Yeah. No, but but on the subject of train games, ones that are ones that I would consider good gateway games are um, Transamerica and Paris Connection. Paris Connection isn't all open information, but Transamerica is also not. <laughs> Yeah, but, but it's minimal stuff. And Transamerica is, like, is really light. Like, it's lighter yeah. than Ticket to Ride, even. Yeah. But, like, the hidden information isn't that complicated, and the, the moves themselves aren't that complicated. But it's also introducing shared incentive, which, like, isn't in a lot of games. That's more of, like, a train game thing, I think. So that I think that's, like, a good gateway to shared incentive games where it's like oh you're kind of working with these other people but then you're gonna want to come out ahead so you're not like fully working with them you want to work with them and have them work with you but then kind of work with other people too so, so that you come out ahead yeah and then people are like oh okay cool <laughs> i've also found for me that games that i like to utilize as gateway games are games that kind of 
are component light or are referential to things that people would already be familiar with. So Mm -hmm. for instance, you all know I love King Domino. It is one of my favorite games of all time. And it's also approachable because everybody knows what dominoes are. Like that's, you've already got, oh, match a square to another square. Almost everybody Mm -hmm. knows that. And so you don't have a ton more to explain. And like, I feel like that level of comfort people get when they're like, oh, there's a piece of this that I already understand natively. I think Mm -hmm. that helps make it more approachable. And then similarly, I think most people tended to grow up playing card games of some sort, even if that's Uno, Old Maid, Hearts, you know, Spades, anything like that. People have played card games before, so I like small box card games that, again, are very component light, like No Thanks Mm -hmm. or For Sale, because, again relatively easy to teach, but they do cool stuff that other card games don't do. And so if you are trying to kind of expand people's knowledge and let them know, like, there's this whole world of other <laughs> games out there, even yeah. though they're light games, I think they do a good, like a good job of introducing new concepts to people. Mm-hmm. One other thing that I was considering is for me personally, so I want to reiterate, a gateway game does not have to lead to other games. But when I am teaching games to humans that I love, I think for me personally, I am selfishly hoping that they will eventually start playing heavier games that I already love with me. It's not that they have to, but like that's kind of what I'm hoping for. So some other gateway games that I'll use are lighter games that start incorporating mechanisms that you see in heavier games. So I think a good example of that would be card drafting. That's a concept that a lot of people are not familiar with right away. This whole, you get a hand of cards, you choose one or any number, depending on the game, and then you pass the hand to the next player, and then you pick another, pass, etc. It seems very simple to people who have already done it, but it's kind of foreign to a lot of people. And there are games that do different types of drafting that are still really approachable. Medieval Academy is one that I really like to use. I still think it's underrated. I don't even know if it's available anymore, but I love Medieval Academy. And then Quantum is a also a drafting game, but instead of drafting from a hand of cards, everyone is drafting from a public grid of cards on the table. So everything is visible to everyone. And so I think those are neat ways to start teaching mechanisms to people in the hopes that oh, if they really like this mechanism, then maybe I can teach them a slightly heavier game that also incorporates that mechanism, making it easier for you to pick something that you know they'll like in the future and potentially Mm -hmm. they'll start playing games that you really love already as well. Yeah. For me, I think when I'm introducing people to games, it's like we just pick games that we like (laughs) anyway. So even if we do just play that game a bunch, we we love it. But I think I do, I tend to use a lot of like cooperative, I've used real-time cooperative games as gateway games because like I think with a lot of our friends, they're familiar with video games and stuff. So they're used to like games that involve timers and stuff or speed or like they're into the fast pace. So then 
like when you think of a board game, you don't think of fast pace, but then it's like, oh, wait, there are real time board games. <laughs> and so yeah, there are um, some board games that are very fast paced. <laughs> yeah. So like Fuse is one that we I mean, I've played a lot with with our friends who are super hobby gamers and, and like, but it's also good, I think, for a gateway real time cooperative game um, because it's just rolling dice and then you have to like defuse your bomb cards. You have bomb cards in front of you, like based on what what is shown on the card. So like the card shows a, a number or like colors of dice. And so you have to match those up depending on the different rules. But it, the, like, the hard part is that you have to do it quickly. <laughs> and so, um, so that's a good one to show people like these games can get very frantic and hectic. Another, another good real-time cooperative game is Escape. Escape the Curse of the, the Temple, of the I temple. believe. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That one also introduces like a modular board. Because a lot of times when you think of a board game, it's like just a board, right? And yeah, then you just unfold you a unfold thing a and then it's one singular <laughs> yeah. thing on the table. Yeah, but in Escape, you're discovering tiles and this is all real time too. Like rolling dice to, to move around and discover tiles and try to escape. So And it's, it's really like, fun to <laughs> scream at your friends when all your dice get locked and you're like, come save me! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it feels thematic. Like you, you, you yeah, got caught. Yeah. <laughs> So it's like there, there can be stress and excitement and like, I mean, there's excitement in non-real-time games too, but like if people are used to, are, are thinking of board games as like a slower thing, then it's cool showing them real-time games, I think. Also, oh, yeah. I love real-time games, so <laughs> I'm biased. I'd say one other thing that I tend to consider when I'm trying to pick a game for a specific person, obviously we've, you know, we've talked about the weight of the game, the mechanisms mm -hmm. of the game whether it's cooperative or competitive, but I also like to consider the game's theme because mm -hmm. I believe that assuming someone is even vaguely interested in gaming, but doesn't really know what they like, it's easier to draw them in with a game that resonates with them. So for instance, when my mom was visiting Vegas at one point a handful of years ago, she came to my weekly game group that I hosted before the pandemic and we showed up and some people were already in the midst of a game, but they were going to be finishing up relatively soon. So I was like, we need to play something kind of quick. So I grabbed a copy of Patchwork and my, I taught my mom Patchwork. My grandma, my mom's mom was a quilter. She made so many quilts while mm -hmm. she was alive. And so I figured rightly that my mom would love the quilting theme and she did. So I think Patchwork would typically be a game that would be a little bit heavier than what my mom would prefer, but because mm -hmm. she liked the theme so much, she really got into it. And I yeah, think she did cool. really well for her first game. I think she was <laughs> like, I think she actually got positive points, but it was like low. And I told her, I was like, no, no, no. I was like, most people score negative their first game of Patchwork. <laughs> so you did great mom. And yeah, I think picking the theme that they enjoy is just going to help get them more excited from the get-go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. In our Twitch chat, which is watching us record this live, Juju Latra said, okay, so this is in reference to a previous comment I made. They said they totally agree with Crystal, me, that they always have hopes when introducing games to people that they will end up playing more with them. And yes, absolutely. <laughs> yep. It's it's a little selfish, right? But I think it comes from a good place. Like I don't mm -hmm want to force people to play games who don't want to game. I want to hopefully find people that will enjoy gaming as much as I do, or at least mm -hmm. to some level, <laughs> and they will want to game more with me because there you can never have too many gaming friends. I'm going to state yeah. that unequivocally. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. 
For today's etymology segment, we're going to look at the origins of the word clue in its noun form. Clue means anything that guides or directs in an intricate case, and it originated in the 1590s. It was a special use of a revised spelling of the word clue, spelled C-L-E-W, which meant a ball of thread or yarn. The word clue, C-L-U-E, is a native Germanic word, but it was originally spelled C-L-E-W-E or C-L-E-U-E when it was in Middle English. Some words that are borrowed from Old French that end in U-E or E-U were also spelled with an E-W at the end of the word when they were in Middle English. Words that this apply to include things like blue, B-L-E-W, or imbue, I-M-B-E-W, but they were later reformed to use a U-E at the end of the word, creating the color blue or imbue, I-M-B-U-E. The process was then extended to other native words like hue, true, and clue. They all had a vowel and a W at the end of them. I bet you're wondering, why did something that meant a ball of thread or yarn turn into what we know as the word clue today? The word originally referenced the clue, C-L-E-W, of thread that was given by Ariadne to Theseus to use as a guide out of the labyrinth in Greek mythology. A passage that explains this goes... Thus hardy Theseus, with intrepid feet, traversed the dangerous labyrinth of Crete, but still the wandering passes forced his stay, till Ariadne's clue unwinds the way. And one last fact for you all, the board game Clue, which was originally Cluedo, launched in Britain in 1949. So now you have more of a clue about the word clue. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. Profits of Doom will be coming to crowdfunding later this year, so stay tuned for more exciting details. And don't forget, Blitzketeers get 20% off non-exclusive items at grayfoxgames.com by using the code GFGBLITZ2022 at checkout. Join the Blitzketeer community for game nights and more on Discord by following the link in the show notes. Leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app or Spotify to help others find our show. And if you want behind-the-scenes access and invite to our private Slack channel, visit patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Mott. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Until next time, I like fun games and I cannot lie. You other gamers can't deny. When a friend walks into a gaming space, does a new game in your face, you have fun. Bye, everyone. Bye. Directs in an intricate case. Oh, gosh, hold on. I messed that up already because there was a missing quotation mark. What? <laughs> See, this is the this is the blooper side of things, y'all. <clears throat> My notes were not great. I-M-B-E-U. U-E. <laughs> and the Technical support provided by Toby now. Toby. <laughs> Techn- <laughs> of all the Toby things now. to mess up. <laughs> <laughs> um.